Hey, hey, thank you so much for being with us today on the Big Time Talker podcast, where we talk to big time talkers from all across the planet about interesting, different things that may open your eyes and your ears just a little bit. We appreciate you being here. The show is service of speakermatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. Now, what does that mean? If, if you're a public speaker, if you go out and you speak at the local uh, Rotary Club meeting, or you speak at huge platforms and big arenas, well, that whole industry was shut down during the pandemic. It's coming back, and virtual meeting planners from everywhere are on the uh, the bulletin board there at speakermatch.com. You can find one another. Thanks to our friends at Speaker Match. Thank you, Brian and the gang there. And thank you to our guest today, Trish Tutton, who joins us from Canada. She does lots of public speaking about something that each of us deal with uh, to a certain extent, some better than others. And maybe we can pick up some strategies and tips on how to deal with stress. Trish Tutton, thanks for being on the program today. Thanks, Burke. It's my pleasure. Happy to be here. By the way, Trish has a, uh, a book called Mindful Mornings. It's a journal and you can find out more about Trish in the book at trishtutton.com. You, um, you came to dealing with stress by dealing with a really stressful personal situation. And uh, gosh, I hate to do that right off the bat, but I want to ask you to, to set it up. What caused you to start to pay attention to how to overcome stress? Yeah, no, it's a really important piece of my story. And it, I think, um, helps folks to understand why mindfulness is so important and also gets them to think about, you know, moments that they've experienced in their life that are really difficult that may have prompted them to think about how they want to live their life. Um, so it'll be actually 10 years ago next month in September that we lost my mom really, really suddenly um, to breast cancer. Mm. And, you know, she was diagnosed with actually a very positive prognosis. She, They told us, you know, in all likelihood she would be fine. She caught it early um, and she went through chemotherapy. She went through even reconstructive surgery and then just all of a sudden out of the blue started to not feel great. And uh, it ended up coming back fiercely in her body. And by the time, you know, I got back East, I actually, my family's in Ontario and I now live in Banff. Um, Yeah. I had a couple of days with her really. And so before she passed away. And so that was really a clarifying moment for me in my life. I think, you know, anyone who's listening can probably point to or identify a time in their life that was clarifying and loss is often an impetus for this clarity we can get in our life. And it could be like my situation, a loss of a loved one. It could be the loss of a job. It could be a health scare. It could be a loss of a relationship, but there are these pivotal moments in our life when we realize, you know, certainly what I realized was that this belief that I didn't even know I had that we're all guaranteed to live a really long life, that belief actually wasn't true, you know, and it was really shattered for me in that moment. So what I really realized was that I might not have control over the the quantity of my life, how many years I get to do this thing called life. But what I did have a really, um, a really strong control over it was the quality of my life. And before my mom passed, I had already begun practicing mindfulness techniques. And I realized I just had this just amazing toolbox at my fingertips that could really not necessarily lengthen my life, but could really add, um, 
add a juiciness, add a, add, you know, value to every moment that I did have in my life. And so that was, uh, yeah, as I said, 10 years ago, I dove really deep into my studies then and just couldn't help, but then want to share these really life transforming tools and techniques to other people. Trish Tutton, our guest today, we're talking about stress, how to overcome it. You know, there's a, uh, a bumper sticker, or it's now a meme in today's world. I dated myself when I said bumper sticker. Um, <laughs> there's a, a meme that, that says, you know, don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff. But the fact of the matter is, it's not all small stuff. And and when you're in the eye of that hurricane, um, even little stressors can be a big thing. Yeah. So when you made this this change of, of your mental attitude, was it a, an all at once thing? Was there a light bulb that went off and you said, I, I got to get it together? Or was this a gradual learning uh, process for you to figure out how yeah. to be, as, as you say, more mindful? Yeah, it's a great question. It's kind of both, okay, <laughs> right? Kind of both. And it was like flipping a switch, like, wow, how am I living my life? My life might not be 80 or 90 years long. Wait a second. What am I doing here? How am I living my life? And so that was kind of a quick flip of a switch. Like, I think one of the things I noticed in the kind of weeks and months following my mom's passing was, you know, I wanted to be really intentional about how I lived my life from here on out. And I realized I wasn't, I realized I was letting, I was sweating a lot of the small stuff and I was letting the stresses of my life, whether they're from work or relationships or opening up your news app on your phone, stresses there too. I was really dwelling on a lot of that stress, right? Like a stressful moment would happen, let's say in the morning at work and it would last 20 minutes. So it would have an end. That stressful experience would have an end to it. But did but, it blow your whole day though? In the yeah, beginning? exactly. It wouldn't end in my mind. I would keep it going, right? Either thinking, how did I deal with that? Did I do that? Oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. Or future thinking, well, now what's the next thing that's going to come my way? What's the next stress, the next challenge? And it would create really, truly a life dictated by stress. So it was a bit of a, a switch flip in that I realized that very quickly, but then it was a process to learn how to be more mindful, how to spend less time worrying and stressing over thoughts that I can't control and mentally be more in the present moment to actually enjoy the moments of my life that where stress wasn't happening, right? Where I didn't have to dwell on it. So Trish, you wrote a, a whole book about it. And by the way, if you want to pick up the book, I'm assuming it's available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, it's on my website. <laughs> let's go there first. Trish yeah. Tutton.com. T-U-T-T-O-N. Trish yeah. Tutton.com. Uh, and the book is Mindful Mornings Journal. It's a journal. Um, but there, I'm sure folks who are listening right now that may not know exactly what mindfulness is. And it may mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. What does it mean to Trish Tutton? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I'm speaking to audiences, I, I usually do a, a quick kind of three, three questions. It's almost like a poll interactively online. I'll do polls in real life. I'll get people popping their hands up. You know, almost in every scenario, almost 100% of the audience has heard of the word mindfulness. Then I ask them, but do you really know what it means? You know, if you were at a cocktail party, meeting with your friends, a barbecue in someone's backyard and someone said, but what does it mean? Could you confidently define it? 
And then those hands start to drop, right? So I often like to say, I think that points to the fact that mindfulness is a buzzword, right? We all know it. Very few of us know what it means. Even fewer of us are in the practice of it because it's actually something we practice, a technique. So to me, mindfulness is essentially having our minds in the present moment And really being accepting of what's here in the present moment instead of what our human mind habitually does, which is wander to the past, think about what happened, wish it didn't happen that way, wish you had done something differently, wander to the future, spend all this time in stressful, anxious thought about what ifs in our life. And then sometimes if we do find ourselves mentally present in the moment, we're judging what's happening. Let's say I'm in the present moment and it's raining outside. Oh, I wish it wasn't raining. This is going to ruin my whole day. Why does it have to rain every day that I want to go outside and do something good? This is a personal attack on my life. I, I'm frustrated. <laughs> so it's about really being mentally in the present moment, which is only now, <laughs> without that sense of judgment and without creating the unnecessary stress of a wandering mind. You know, there, there's some people that might argue, uh, Trish, I would not be one of them, by the <laughs> way, uh, that either you got it or you don't, right? <laughs> you can learn how to live in the present moment and you can learn how to minimize stressors or you're just one of those people that are going to spiral out forever. Now, I'm assuming you're one of those people that believe you can be taught those things. You can learn how to be more mindful and how to to keep the stressors at bay. Am I right or am I wrong? Do you think people can learn how to do that? Absolutely. It's so funny because when I talk to people about this, when I say, you know, the opposite of mindfulness is when you're not paying attention to what's happening. You're washing the dishes. You're thinking about something else. You're trying to listen to your partner, tell them, tell you about their day and you can't help but just wander off and think about your own problems. And they'll say, I'm just not, that's not my mind. My mind just can't be in the present moment. It's just impossible, right? Other people can do that, but that's not me. I don't know what kind of mind you need to have to do that. So it's a very common challenge that people will think that it's kind of what you might call the fallacy of uniqueness. We all think we're so unique, like, oh, other people can do that, but not me. And so what I always like to share with folks is it's like a practice, right? And just as let's pretend I'm not a mindfulness teacher, but I'm a personal trainer. And you came to me, Burke, and you said, I'm feeling really weak lately. You know, my my partner wanted me to move around the, uh, the furniture in my living room and I couldn't even do it. Or I don't know if you have kids or grandkids, you want to lift them up and oh, I feel so weak and I hurt my back when I do that. How do I get strong? And I tell you, there's an exercise that you can do to get stronger. And you say, I just don't think I'm that person. I think other people can get stronger, <laughs> not me, right? And then I would give you an exercise. I would say, okay, you want stronger you know, arms? You're going to do bicep curls. So in the same way, mindfulness actually gives us practices, right? Or you could call them exercises. <laughs> like we would go to the gym and do for our body. Mindfulness says you want to be more mentally present in your life. You want to spend less time worrying and stressing and having anxious thoughts. Here's an exercise to make you more mindful. And that exercise is meditation, which some of your listeners may have heard of before. All right. Now here's the point where some people are going to say, you know what, Trish, I think the the cheese done slid off your cracker with this meditation <laughs> thing. Um, 
because you, you don't know what that means exactly. And, and maybe you, um, have seen some sort of weird thing on television and you equate it with, with something that's a little bit too mystical, maybe a little too hypnosis with the swinging clock. So yeah. what does meditation mean to you? So we can, we, we need to walk people off the ledge here a little bit. A hundred percent. And it's slowly people are starting to understand that, Oh, this is just me training my brain to be more present. This isn't, it doesn't have to have all of these assumptions that I'm making up about. I, I don't have to light a candle. I don't have to listen to Enya in the background. I don't, have to <laughs> I don't even have to sit cross-legged on the floor. I don't have to do any of that. Thank God for that. I'd never be able to get back up. There you go. <laughs> so I want you to actually even just think about this idea. If we go back like 50 years ago and somebody had said, I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to go for a run. 50 years ago, people would have said, what? Are I'm sorry. You're going for a run. Is someone chasing you? That's right. Is there a bear behind you? Is that why you're going for a run? Right. Are you okay? And now we understand, oh no, people go for a run for their cardiovascular health to, you know, keep their body, their physical body, nice and healthy. So this is all meditation is, is it's a brain training tool to get us to practice the skill of being more mentally present, noticing that habit that our mind likes to do where it thinks into the past, thinks into the future and practice reining it back into the present moment. Very often, some of your listeners may have experienced this, the anchor we use to practice being more present is just observing our breath because our breath is always in the present moment. So if your mind is focusing on the feeling of breathing, your mind is present. And then from there, you'll see it wander off. You'll see it start to have a memory from 10 years ago. Why did that happen? Oh, I wish it hadn't. Have a thought about what's going to happen in the future. Will I be okay financially? Where's my career going? What's going to happen with that friend of mine who's maybe struggling right now? And then bring it back to the breath, bring it back. And just like you would do a bicep curl, right? And every time you pull that weight in, you strengthen that muscle. Every time you pull your mind back from a wandering thought and onto the breath, you're strengthening that mindfulness skill. So when you're in elementary school and, and you get all worked up and the elementary school teacher says, now, Burke, just take a few deep breaths and calm down. She was onto something. Yeah, totally. I mean, breathing is, it's always in the present moment. It brings your mind right here, anchors it here. And also deep breathing is good for our nervous system too. It can calm us down. One of the things that's happening a lot in the, uh, in the U S actually it's worldwide, uh, is this, this summer of airline woes. Thankfully, you know, the summer's coming to an end. I have a feeling the airline woes are not, um, that's stressful under the best of circumstances. Yeah. If you got to hop on a flight, Will the deep breathing thing help? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other thing that mindfulness really teaches us is to be present with the ever-changing nature of life. If you think about the only thing we can really count on in life is that things are changing. Always things right. are changing, right? And it's so interesting because we're lulled into this like, predictability and certainty of our life. We've got our calendars, we've got our smartwatches, we've got our iPhones, we've got our, you know, schedules all kind of marked down to the minute. We think we know what's going to happen. Yeah, not when, so much. Right. And that the pandemic really surfaced that for people. They thought, oh my God, we've lost control. But 
truly we are, we are never in control. So especially things like, you know, flying and, and traveling, there's so much uncertainty. So mindfulness can also help us to teach us to be present in that moment and in the moments as they continue to change and as uncertainty surfaces and you have a calm moment, then you have a stressful moment, then you have a sad moment, then you have a happy moment. It can help us. Um, sometimes what I like to say is it can help us ride the waves of life instead of kind of being sucked underneath of them. Trish Tutton is our guest today. Find her online at trishtutton.com, T-U-T-T-O-N. The new book is Mindful Mornings Journal. And uh, Trish teaches folks how to overcome their stresses with meditation and yoga and uh, specific strategies, which I think there are lots of folks that uh, that could utilize them. I have a, an old buddy, a mentor for many years, who taught me something uh, that that is similar to what you just said. He says that uh, flexibility is the hallmark of a professional. Yeah. And I love that. And and I wonder if some people are more intuitively able to pull that off than others. Yeah, potentially. I mean, in psychology, they talk about these kind of um, elements of our personality, and one of them is openness. So certainly there are folks who might trend more toward that open-mindedness, which I think would translate into flexibility, and others who might be, have a little bit more of a rigidity around their personality. But funny enough, Berg, I would say, like, in some ways, I can be a little bit of a you know, I enjoy to I enjoy having control in my life. I enjoy having, you know, things go the way I expect them to go. So I found these daily practices of mindfulness really powerful to be able to surrender in those moments when things aren't going my way, where I'm having a hard time being flexible with challenges that are presenting themselves. And really, I think what we're learning is, you know, I think about the word flexibility. I think that's also a hallmark of resilience. Right? right. We can't control, as I was talking about those waves, there's a, a famous mindfulness quote by a very well-known teacher. He says, we can't control the waves, but we can learn to surf them. So that's a, a quote from a man named John Kabat-Zinn, a, a mindfulness teacher from, from back in the seventies and eighties. But yeah, it's this flexibility of being able to go with the flow of life, which is not always predictable and sometimes stressful, but being able to, to ride that that those changes with more ease yeah maybe it's not so much about overcoming obstacles but just figuring out how to surf that wave so yeah. uh, trish our studio is in washington dc and when i moved here years ago my son was it was very small and i remember thinking when i walked him in my god you're in the united nations of third grade right there are kids from all over the world there which is the coolest thing ever um as you have studied mindfulness and uh being able to surf that wave are, are there some cultures that are maybe uh, more open to that or better at that than others? It's a great question. I mean, you know, it's funny. I've traveled to India twice, uh, okay. which is certainly the home of yoga. Um, mindfulness has come from other parts of the world as well, but um, the, the home of yoga, and it's really funny, you know, India is, it is a beautiful and chaotic country and you go there and I really realized, or I had this mo this almost like clarifying moment of like, oh, this is why this stress reducing, calming practice was created here because it is 
a zoo. It's a zoo. Yeah, it's an overwhelming place to be, to yeah. visit. I don't know what it's like to live there, but to visit, it's like, you know, it's a it's a shock to all of your senses that you don't have much personal space. The smells are strong. The flavors are strong. The colors are bright. It's loud. The music is always playing. So it's funny. I, you know, think I made that bit of a connection that, oh, maybe that's why they created these practices because they really needed them. <laughs> that's right yeah yeah guaranteed Shaley Priya in my office takes care of a lot of my stuff and I think that's why she's able to pull it off because she grew up in India right and so anything I throw at her is small potatoes yeah it's a beautiful country but it is a shock I think for a westerner I mean I'll speak for myself but for a westerner to go there and yeah it's a it's feels like another world in many ways when when the pandemic hit full bore in early 2020 and everybody changed in every way you know everything was off the table including i'm sure for you you were probably before that out speaking and teaching people how to do it and you had to shift your deal um i wonder how tough it was for you to put your money where your mouth is and be able to pull it off i mean were there times where you're going i just i'm not buying what i'm selling today you know, it's funny, and and you spoke about my Mindful Mornings journal a few times, and this is really where that was born out of, because I launched that in fall 2020. So oh, wow. um, to set the scene, spring 2020, I was about three and a half years into my speaking business, and things were exploding. Like I had the fullest schedule I'd ever had. I was speaking to more people than I'd ever spoken to. I was set to have the biggest quarter financially of my business. And then it all down. Yeah. <laughs> phone call after phone call. I mean, I can laugh at it now, but it was a really, really challenging time. And I can t- say to you with a hundred percent authenticity and, and, and certainty that the only way that I navigated that difficulty and came out of it, actually, um, my business has done better in the last few years than it ever has been is through these practices. And that's actually why I created the journal because I was doing this morning routine before the pandemic and through the pandemic. Although, you know, to be honest, the last thing I wanted to do while I was going through all this loss of business was like sit and focus on my breath and have all these feelings of, you know, grief of loss, you know, not a loss of a person, but loss of businesses, loss of an identity, loss of purpose. Um, It was the last thing I wanted to do, but I stuck with this morning routine and I really credit it for pulling me out on some of those dark days and being able to have my business continue, succeed, double in in growth, really, from 2019 through 2020 and 2021. Oh, wow. And I thought, I need to put this in a journal for people so that they can do these practices. And so each day, uh, folks with the journal are guided through four simple practices. And I tell folks it can take them as little as five minutes. They could expand it. It could be a 20-minute morning routine if they wanted. They start with a mindfulness practice, a short meditation. I have guided ones that they can listen to or they can do it silently. They then get a chance to reflect on that practice. What did I notice was going on in my mind? What was I thinking about, dwelling on, distracted by? Uh, They then get to write down five pieces of gratitude, which also was one of the hardest things to do in the midst of the loss of all this business. It got really simple, Burke. I'll tell you that. My gratitude was like, I'm grateful I woke up this morning. I'm grateful I had a morning tea. (laughs) Grateful for all this free time that I didn't think I was going to have. Yeah. 
So gratitude. And then the final piece of the morning routine is a goal setting practice. I think many people might mistakenly assume that when we're being mindful, we're present in the moment, we're never looking into the future or setting goals or dreaming. And that's just not true. Part of being mindful is being intentional about the way we live our lives. So looking forward every morning, folks get to write down five goals that they're working toward um, so that they're creating an intentional life. This uh, book, the, the Mindful Mornings Journal, is available at your website, trishtutton.com. You do something else that's kind of interesting, um, kind of high techy, and that is a, a meditation app. How does yeah. that work? Yeah, so it's not my app. I didn't create it, but it's an app called Insight Timer. And it's been around, honestly, I mean, I talk about a decade ago was really when my life changed. I've been using it for more than that time. So it's been around for a really long time. And I've used um, Insight Timer and their meditations for so long to hone in my own mindfulness practice. And then I became a teacher on that app. So folks can go on Insight Timer. They can download the app completely for free. And I have a good handful of guided meditations folks can listen to to get a sense of what my style is as a teacher and maybe to begin a practice themselves. And I understand, and maybe I'm wrong about this, it's the most downloaded meditation app on the planet yeah, now. And absolutely. you're there. And I'm there. <laughs> giving you a podcast fist bump all the way up there to Canada. That's pretty great. Um, I, you know, I am, uh, and I think it's probably because I've designed my life that way, a busy guy. I've got a lot happening, and I do lots of different things throughout my day. And I wonder if one of the big pushbacks that you get um, from folks who are pretty productive and prolific is yeah, 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 Trish, that all sounds great, but ain't nobody got time for all that. No way. I don't have enough time. <laughs> I got no time to be journaling and meditating. I got I got fish to fry. I got kids to feed. So Absolutely. what say you when you hear that? Yeah, that is one of the most common pushbacks that folks have is I don't have enough time to do this. Well, Part of what folks are feeling when they say, I don't have enough time is actually something that has been researched it, uh, around the 1990s, somewhere in that decade, they surfaced this term that's called time famine. Time, time famine. famine. I know. Can you feel it? Like, can you feel it in your body? It's like, oh, tension, right? Like, I don't have enough time. I have so much to do. Not enough time to do it. How am I going to get it all done? I'm going to search on Google productivity hacks and I'm going to get thousands of hits and they're going to tell me all the ways that I can do more with less time. And I'm going to get my smartwatch and it's going to schedule me to the minute. And we're going to use all these time saving tools. And those time-saving tools don't actually solve the problem of time famine. In fact, there's research to say that the more we try to do in less time, the more time famine we feel. The wow. more rushed we feel, the more anxious and stressed we feel, the more mistakes we make as we try to go faster, the less efficient we are because we just made a mistake, we got to start again and fix the whole thing over again. That actually the remedy this is, again, there's data and research out there to tell us this. The remedy to time famine is slowing down, is slowing down. The other thing about why we feel like we have to go so fast is there's this belief, I think, in, in our dominant Western culture that happiness, a sense of fulfillment in our life is way over there in the future. <laughs> there. And I'm way over there. I got to get there really quickly. So I got to get to that next 
you know, job title, that job promotion. I got to get to that next number in my in my uh, bank account. I got to get to, you know, it's it's the human condition. When we're little, we want to be old. When we're old, we want to be out of school. Then we want to be married. Then we want this, that, that. Happiness is always in the future and we're always rushing there. Mindfulness reminds us that the only time, the only time any of us will ever be happy is right now. That's the only opportunity there is. Because the thing is, if we keep delaying happiness to the future, and guess what? We get that thing that we wanted, we said would make us happy. Now, what do we think will make us happy? The next thing. (laughs) The next thing, the next thing. So slowing down and really being present in the moment can help us actually to overcome that big objection that people have. That is the reason. If they're saying, I'm too busy for this, that's actually the exact reason that they might want to pick up a mindfulness practice. You know, folks, a generation or two before us um, were able to leave work at work. They didn't have a smartphone. They didn't have a laptop. And, you know, I can remember my parents having many a leisurely evening on the back porch (laughs) watching the sun go down, you know, and I can't even fathom that today because we all have so much happening. So maybe, maybe mom and dad and grandma and grandpa were onto something, huh? Exactly. (laughs) What about routine? You, You touched on that lightly a little bit. How important do you think having um, a routine every day helps? I, I was told years ago, and I still do this today, that just doing something as simple as when you wake up in the morning, making up your bed every day, bam, you've accomplished something right off the bat. It's 60 seconds, but you know, it kind of helps you get things in order. Do you think that routine is, is helpful when it comes to, to mindfulness and dealing with the stress of the world? Yeah, I mean, I'd say for most people, one of the things that helps them to create any sort of a habit, right, which I mean, when I'm teaching folks to practice mindfulness, I'm trying to get them to form a new habit. So I would say for most people developing a habit, which is, you know, a consistent way of doing something or a time where you do it or a location where you do it is really helpful for our brain to be able to keep something consistent and be successful at it. That being said, I've also worked with clients who I would call like rebels. And they're like, no, if I have a routine, I want to rebel against it. The moment (laughs) I I have to do something is when I want to say, I'm going to do everything else. So I think, you know, it's also about knowing yourself, right? Which mindfulness does give us an opportunity to sit with ourselves for a moment and notice, huh, what's going on in my mind? What's going on in my emotions? It helps us develop a relationship with ourselves. We have more self-awareness and then we might then have a better idea of, yeah, do I need this to be a regular habit or can I be maybe a little bit more flexible with it? But I do find that habits are good for folks because otherwise we all can have the best intentions. All right, I'm going to practice mindfulness for two minutes every single day. And then we get to bed at night and we go, oops, didn't do that. So sometimes it is helpful to say, I'm going to do that this time in this location for this, you know, duration. It's helpful for folks. It's funny. You just said, you know, I'm I'm going to do this for two minutes. uh, And we talked about time and time stressors that we all have. If someone is is listening right now who says, you know, this, I'm buying into what Trish is selling. This sounds good to me, but how much time do I need to devote to keeping a journal in the morning or doing meditation? Uh, And I'm sure, you know, the the short answer is probably, well, it varies. However, I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy. So if you really want to sort of switch up the way you deal with the stress of life, how much time should you put into mindfulness and meditation and journaling every day? 
I'll tell you what I suggest to my clients. And this is exactly how I created my own mindfulness habit. For most folks, being still, whether you're sitting down or standing, closing your eyes, focusing on your breath, noticing the wandering mind and trying to tame it to the present moment, it's tricky because they've spent 20, 30, 40, 50, however old they are, years letting their mind just wander around like a kid in a candy store. So it's developed a really good habit of being distracted. So it's hard to do. So what I usually suggest is start with a really small amount of time. I'm not going to say to somebody, try to do this for 10 minutes, because what's going to happen is they'll finish that 10 minutes. If they even finish it, they'll probably quit early because hard. It's really difficult. You know, I moved out to the Rocky Mountains here um, uh, around 10, 11 years ago from uh, the more flat land in Eastern Canada. And I picked up skiing again. And I'll tell you, it's kind of the same thing. I would go skiing and there were a few days where I skied for too long. I went for too long. My legs got exhausted. I started falling over. I felt defeated. I felt like I sucked. And then I'd end the day and I wouldn't want to go back because it was too hard. So then I started to realize, well, it's kind of like, you know, in high school when there was a party and you either left the party when it was still going good and you had really good memories of it or you stayed too long until, you know, the police showed up or who knows what happened. We're really sideways. Yes. Like I stayed way too long. That's what I felt skiing. And that's what I think about when people start to meditate. If you try too much time at first, It's like you get frustrated, annoyed, you get down on yourself, you feel defeated. So I literally, when I started my practice, did one minute. That was hard. One minute was hard, but it was doable. I could do one minute. I also couldn't really give the excuse that I didn't have enough time for a minute in any given day. So I suggest folks start with one or two minutes. Once that starts to feel easy, doable, add a minute. So now really my daily practice, honestly, I spend 10 minutes most days. That's what I've worked myself up to. That's what I feel like is the amount that benefits my life in a positive way. The rest of my day goes better when I take those 10 minutes. So start really small. Do you get down on the floor and put yourself into a pretzel and all that stuff? (laughs) I don't go into a pretzel, but I do sit on the floor. Trish Dutton, this is an interesting conversation. You're a common sense person when it comes to this. So I want to, to leave our listeners with a common sense, you know, uh, three tips. If you're feeling stressed right now, for whatever reason, you're feeling overwhelmed, let's get Trish's top three things to dig yourself out. So I would say first, just start to become aware, start to notice of what's what's going on in your own mind. So notice, oh man, I'm feeling really, really stressed out. What am I thinking about? And is that thought something about what's happening right now? Or is it from the past or the future? Am I creating stress in my own mind that isn't actually here in the moment, right? Notice that because it really is your mind creating that stress and anxiety. It's not actually here. And then you can really, I guess the second piece would be really become present in the moment. And you can do that just by feeling into your body. Like even right now, as folks are listening, if they're sitting, they can just feel their seat as it rests in the chair, like feel that pressure. That's right here in the present moment. Maybe you can feel your feet on the ground. Maybe they're listening to this in their car and their hands are on the wheel. 
feel the texture of the wheel. If you've got your window down, feel some of that breeze. That's right here in the present moment. And then they could even just add in as a third piece, three nice deep breaths. And the deep breaths are not only going to signal to your nervous system that it can start to calm down, but if you are paying attention to those breaths, your mind is in the present moment and it's not going to be able to, at least for those few moments, wander away into those stressful thoughts. So notice when your mind is creating stress, come back into your body in the present moment and take three really thoughtful, deep breaths. And make sure those those three deep breaths are minty fresh when you do it. If you're <laughs> and I would just add, Burke, that I know because not because I'm psychic, but because I've done this for so long. I know what people are thinking when they hear these three tips. They go, yeah, right, Trish. They go, <laughs> my, my stress is, you don't know my stress. My stress is huge. I have so many things that I'm dealing with. You think that taking three deep breaths is going to help. And so this would be what I would say to those folks. First of all, I would say, I get it. I get it. I understand because I've thought the same thing. And then I would say to them that small changes, small habits, small interventions in our life can create big results. Sometimes we think our problems are so big that we need a big transformative solution. We need to take six months off of work. We need to take a sabbatical and travel the world and find ourselves. And maybe we do. But small interventions can make a big difference for our well-being. And I would give the example of brushing our teeth. Most of your listeners probably, like me, brush their teeth twice a day yep. for about a grand total of four minutes, right? Two in the morning, two at night. So far, that four minutes in my day has allowed my teeth to remain firmly planted in my skull. <laughs> they haven't fallen out yet. So maybe small changes, small interventions we make with our well-being can actually have pretty big implications on our well-being. Got to take that first step, and Trish Tutton can help you with that. Visit Trish at trishtutton.com, and that is spelled T-U-T-T-O-N. And hey, while you're there, you might just want to pick up that Mindful Mornings journal and uh, start journaling and turn your life uh, and take that first step towards being more mindful and and being happier and and more stress-free. Hey, thanks for being here today. Thank you. Such a great chat. Loved it. What a great conversation. And thanks, Speaker Match, for making it possible. Thank you for being here today for the Big Time Talker podcast. We're everywhere now. You can subscribe at all the platforms, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Blog Talk Radio, wherever you find podcasts. For my guest, Trish Tutton, I'm Burke Allen in Washington, D.C. Now go out and make it a great day. Bye, everybody.